0: hey friends this is fun therapy and my name is mike foster and together we're going to dive into the messy and the brutal but oh so beautiful parts of our not so perfect stories and we'll do it with a smile even when it's hard friends these are uh, special coronavirus episodes where i just want to support you and encourage you and talk about some real issues that I believe all of us are working through. Today, I wanna dive into the language of healing and paying attention to our words and how important the words that we speak to others and the words that we speak to ourselves, the way we frame ideas and concepts about the world that we're living in right now. How incredibly important that is. And so I hope this will be helpful to you in terms of what you're navigating right now, because it's a lot. You know, one of my heroes is Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers has said, you know, probably one of the most famous quotes that we hear around around crises and Things are difficult in the world, and Mr. Rogers said this to his television neighbors. He said, When I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news, and my mother would say, Look for the helpers, you will always find people who are helping. In part of this episode, and part of what I think is incredibly important as we are processing all the changes in our lives is for us to not only acknowledge our own hurt, our own loss, our own grief. We've talked about that in the past episodes, but also begin to find moments of being a helper. And here's why. This is why I think this is really important right now. There's a large and well-supported body of research showing that doing good for others actually makes us feel better. Go figure, right? Psychologists refer to this boost or this lift or this feeling better as a helper's high. And actually believes that our, our brain creates endorphins when we perform acts of goodness. The pleasure centers of our brains just light up. when we we begin to love and serve and give to others. I realize a lot of you are probably in the position where you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to like respond and react to all the things that are coming at you right now, and I I get it. But I also want to challenge you. This is maybe the Navy SEAL part of me, I want to challenge you to say, is there some opportunity this week or today where I could give something, where I could serve somebody? And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grand. Tiny acts of greatness, right? Where you can move in to somebody's pain or hurt. It could just be a text. It could be a quick base time. Something where we move our thinking and our thoughts and go, how might I step in and bring love and encouragement? You see, the interesting thing about Mr. Rogers' quote when he talks about when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news is that. A lot of us think that, oh, this this whole thing is about us just watching other people, this quote is about us watching the helpers. Really, it's not because if you think about the quote he's saying when I was a boy, and I would see scary things in the news in the news. But if as adults, as leaders, as people who can influence others for good in such incredible ways, it's our responsibility to actually be the helpers that the children see. Now listen, I understand this, this feels like a lot for some of you, and I, I know that. But I wanna encourage you as part of your own healing, as part of your own care of yourself. And listen, we're not going to give out of codependency. We're not going to give out of exhaustion. That's not that's not the point here. The point is could you creatively find small moments during this week where you could give? And as you give, you not only help others, but you help yourself. You create those endorphins in your brain. The research supports it. That doing good for others makes us feel better. And I don't know about you, but I think it's an, it's a need for all of us to feel a little better. You know, one of the things that I'm doing this week and just a quick little announcement is I have a, have an e-course that I created a couple years ago called Rescue Academy. And it's a part of a live workshop that I've been doing for several years now, but I did an e-course version of it and it's available right now at rescueacademy.com. It actually teaches you in seven very fun, easy, fast-paced sessions about how to help your hurting friends and family members to hold space for them, to help them navigate depression and sadness and some of the things that they're experiencing. And it's so simple. And so if, if you're like, yeah, sign me up, Let me tell you, that's a great first step. Rescue Academy, the Rescue Academy e e course. It's at the website, rescueacademy.com. Check it out. And if for some reason, like, you're like, hey, I I don't have money right now to do that, just reach out to me on, on Instagram. We'll figure out maybe a plan B for you. Because I think the world needs the heart healers today. Part of healing and part of us serving others well is paying attention to our language. That's why I just want to spend a few minutes talking about that. There's a phrase that I heard recently. I love it so much because it is so true. And it's really about what we're going to talk, today, talk about today. Is that words create worlds. Words create worlds. This idea that the language that we use, the words that we use, the things that we say to ourselves can create a world inside of us, a world of despair, a world of hopelessness, a world of fear. But also I believe that the words that we use with each other and with other people can create a world for them too. Words are so, so powerful that we have to be very, very aware of the language and how we can use language that can stoke up cynicism and anger. We can create a world of additional suffering for ourselves and suffering for others. Or we can look and grab and be... Grabbing onto words that create worlds that even when it's hard, there can still be hope. Let's first start talking about the language that we're using with ourselves. The language maybe that we're using in our conversations to describe things about our life and our current circumstances. Let me give you an example. One of the, the kind of most common words and common phrases that we're using these days is the word shelter in place or self-quarantining, right? We're hearing that nonstop. It's, it's probably going in the dictionary if it's not already in the dictionary next year. Shelter in place, self-quarantine. We're all participating in that in in most of the states of the country or wherever you're hearing this, okay? So my wife and I, we have been shelter in place for over three weeks now. And so I'm like, there's got to be a better word for this because self-quarantine and shelter in place, like self-quarantine, that sounds like a medical word. Shelter in place sounds like a, a war word. Sounds very scary, kind of fear-based, and I get it. I think these are important words to help establish clarity, and they're words used by Governors and doctors and people who are trying to lead us and I understand these are important words But I wonder if there was a different language that we could use and a different language that I could use That would help position what we're doing here in my house a little differently And so my new word and this is gonna sound a little goofy and a little weird, but but it's the word that i'm using the word i'm using is cocooning Like a butterfly cocoon. So my wife and my daughter my family, we're cocooning. all right. And the thing that I like about cocooning is it does ap- absolutely describe what we're doing here. We are together, connected, almost smothering each other. We are stuck together in this cocoon. But the thing that I love about the concept and the word, the language of cocooning is that when you do that, just like a butterfly, after you've done that for a while something beautiful can come forth that feels different doesn't it it's just a change it's the same concept as shelter in place same concept as quarantine self quarantine but cocooning i'm cocooning <laughs> and i don't know what your word is and that's just an example of of the shift the language you know, here, here's one. I was talking to a friend today about this. He goes, you know, I've been using the word I'm stuck at home. Maybe a different way to reframe that language is I am safe at home, right? You know, yes, I understand we're stuck at home too, but but perhaps there's a different language for that. And here's why our words and the way that we describe things and what we talk about and how we talk about it both our inner dialogue and our dialogue just kind of within our families or sort of talking with friends, is that our brain believes our words. Our brain believes our words. And so we have to be really aware of the the words that we use, that they're hopefully not fear-based words or words that are lacking in hope Hopefully they're not war words or scary words, but they're they're the language of healing. Instead of shelter in place, we say cocooning. Instead of I am stuck at home, we say I am safe at home. Small shifts, small moves. Here's just a general premise, and of where I, what I believe is so important, and, and maybe write this one down is that. Take care of your thoughts when you're alone, right? Take care of your thoughts when you're alone, but but take care of your words when you're with people. And that brings me to my second point. What we say to others matters. So let's talk about helpful language during a crisis. What does that sound like? What does that look like? Well, a lot of us have the tendency when people are hurting or scared or confused, when people are crying or breaking down, we have this need or this tendency to often want to Overpromise and say things to help people feel secure in that moment, to help them not feel so overwhelmed. And in our desire to help, we actually add to the hurt. And really overpromising and kind of like almost false hope, giving people false hope and trying to cheer them up or just be a cheerleader or try to put a silver lining on something or say certain statements that that probably are not true we actually do more harm to people so we give them a false hope this over promising and really when we are over promising subconsciously what is happening there is that it is your attempt to actually control somebody's emotions okay to control their beliefs or their point of view or what they're feeling in that moment. And that is something in terms of being a great heart healer, a great helper, we don't want to do that. So we need to watch where we're over-promising and watch some of that language. And so let me give you a couple examples. I posted this on Instagram a couple days ago, and I think it might be helpful in terms of just kind of unpacking this a little bit. The difference between over-promising and honest hope. So the difference between over-promising and what I call honest hope. And honest hope is really just true words, uh, ac- as accurate as possible words, but it's not over-promising. It's not happy talk. It's hopeful, but it's also honest. And I believe those two words can live together. And when they do, they can be really powerful. So let me give you a few examples of over-promising and honest hope. So in in some of the words I want you to say, some of the words just stop saying. Okay, so here's an overpromising statement. Don't worry, you'll be just fine. That, my friends, is an overpromise. Okay, you don't know what will happen. You don't know what you know. This person may have lost their job. This may per- person may be sick. This person, you know, we really don't know. So we don't want to be in the place where we are predicting somebody's future okay so maybe instead of using the the phrase don't worry you'll be just fine which is also fairly dismissive in some ways we want to use honest hope so instead of don't worry you'll, you'll be just fine say this this might be might be really hard but i believe in you okay that's honest hope Overpromising statement how about this one there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing, you're, You'll be fine. Well, maybe a different phrase we could use, an honest, hopeful phrase could be, whatever you're feeling right now is important. Welcome it. See, we don't want to dismiss people's fears. We don't want to say what they're feeling isn't real. That's not appropriate nor helpful. And so validating somebody say whatever you're feeling right now is important let's welcome it instead of just kind of shutting them down and saying there's nothing to be scared of that again that's over i think there's a lot of things to be worried about in the world right now i think i think that it's appropriate to be concerned about certain things Now, obviously we don't want to have fear control or dictate our lives but to say there's nothing to be scared of is really just overpromising. here's another statement I'm sure this will be over in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it was last week or the week before we talked about grief and bargaining. You know, I'm sure this will be over in a couple of weeks, or denial. <laughs> um, you don't know that. I don't know that. Doctors don't know that. It's the greatest scientists in the world don't know that, so overpromising. I'm sure this will be over in a couple of weeks. but honest hope sounds like this. This might take a while. So let's focus on what we know today. That's such a more helpful phrase. Or how about this? This overpromising phrase things will get back to normal soon enough. Well, that feels like a stretch, doesn't it? Feels like happy talk. Feels like, how would you know that? How do you know things will just get back to normal? And maybe the bigger question is should things just get back to normal? Maybe this is actually an opportunity where we can redefine what normal looks like. And so an honest, hopeful statement to say to somebody might be this. Things might be different in the future, but it can still be good. Doesn't that feel a lot more honest, a lot more truthful, but still hopeful? And then finally, here's the last over-promising phrase that, that you might find yourself using. This one's about a specific situation. Of course, you're going to get your job back. Of course, you're. They'll, as soon as this is over, you'll, you'll get your job. They'll hire you right back. You don't know that. Nobody knows that. So that's an overpromise. But Honest Hope could say this. You could say this, and this would be really powerful to say to somebody. I see so many gifts and talents in you that the world really needs calling out what you see in them, the gifts, the strengths, the talents, the things that they do that can make a real contribution to all different kinds of organizations in all different kinds of ways, and that the world really needs it. That's a true statement. That's honest, and it's hopeful. Of course, you'll get your job back. Not as helpful. Okay. Okay. And so really making sure that when you're using language with people that you don't say things that are really honestly just about you and you wanting to stop somebody's pain or stop somebody's emotion or you're feeling uncomfortable about the way they're feeling in the moment and really just being somebody who brings honest hope. You got to be really aware of Anytime you start to fortune tell somebody's future, right? You're not a fortune teller. If you're doing that, you're slipping into over promising. Okay. And then finally, I want to talk about holding space for people, because I think this is the greatest gift. Like if you don't say anything to somebody, again, this is how do we be helpful? How do we give? How do we show up for people? Uh, There's a few ways to do that, but I think the most important thing that we can do right now, and honestly, it's all that I'm doing almost eight hours a day right now, which is incredible. uh, Such an honor is to hold space for people, to hold space for my friends, hold space for those who are hurting. So what does that look like? Let me give you a couple ways of that you can hold space for somebody. Number one, sit with them in non-judgment. Man, just let the whole conversation be about grace, non-judgment, acceptance. Whatever they are experiencing, whatever they want to talk about, whatever their anger or frustration might be, you just sit with them in non-judgment. Then also you're you're resisting the urge to fix it. See, again, the over-promising part of you wants to fix it. I want to fix it and solve it, and then we can move on. Resist that urge, because holding space says, I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm going to try to feel this. I'm going to support you. I'm going to stand with you. That brings us to the third thing. is just really offering unconditional support. It's like, I will, holding space means like, I'm going to to find ways to support you, to help carry and shoulder some of this, this weight that you're feeling in this moment, you know, practice, uh, practicing deep and active listening is how we hold space and holding space for somebody means you allow them to feel all the emotions. Holding space means giving them permission and allowing them to work out their own process. See, we don't try to take control of them. We don't try to take control of their healing or their situation, but we let them work out their own process and discover what their their needs are and what their desires are, what they feel is doable in terms of moving towards health. And then finally, holding space, just the kind of most simple thing, is giving empathy, love, and your heart. If Friends, if you do that, you're exactly what Mr. Rogers is talking about. Look for the helpers. And that's what you are. And as you help and love and support, as you hold space for people, as you make sure that you are using language and statement that reflects honest hope and not overpromising, you become the very essence of helping heal the world. You become become this glowing light of good in your neighborhood. And listen, I know it's hard for you. I know it's hard for me. We are all experiencing suffering in our own lives. But this week, the challenge, look for ways to give back. To do good. Because doing good helps you feel better. Doing good is that in these small moments, in these small ways, are the things that are the most lasting in somebody's life. To move into a place with somebody in the midst of their crisis and to hold space and to encourage and to bring hope. Wow. It's the most beautiful thing I can think of. So friends, you're ready. Go out there and do it. Because the world is looking for the helpers. Well, friends, I hope that was helpful to you. I'm really excited. Got some new episodes coming up. Number one, I want to let you know I am working on a new guided meditation. I know many of you have been asking about that. This is I'm actually writing a what I'm calling a walking meditation, a meditation that you can play while you do a little ten minute walk around the neighborhood because I believe that's so incredibly important right now and uh, I'm hoping to finish it up this weekend. So make sure to subscribe, make sure to lean, lean into that subscription button because it will be coming out shortly and plus some additional content for you guys. Make sure to head over to my website. If you want to get the brain detox free download, don't forget about rescue Academy. If you want some training in how to help others who are hurting Family members, friends, this is a great crash course in how to do that. Rescueacademy.com. There's a seven-part e-course that is available right now, and it's only going to be available the rest of this week, so don't wait. And want we'll to say thanks to Sleepin' At Last for always providing the beautiful music for the Fun Therapy Podcast. And remember, my friends, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next week on the fun therapy podcast.